0: Everyone's journey doesn't start and stop with the assault and it doesn't, you know, it carries for the span of your lifetime and and triggers can come and go as time goes on. And you might need their support today, not tomorrow, you know, a week later, two years later, 30 years later, but that they're going to be there for you, however that falls and for however long that you need them.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, our cross-generational, cross-cultural conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice. I'm Ann Doyle. And as always, we're coming to you from the Motor City Women Studios in Detroit, Michigan. And if you're wondering, where's Dana Harvey, my co-host? Don't worry, she'll be back with us next week. Well, the Tokyo Olympics are in the history books now, and female athletes wrote at least half of that history, or better yet, herstory, because this was the first Olympics in which half of all the athletes from all over the world were women, 48.8% to be exact. And it was the third consecutive Olympics in which American women won more total medals than American men, Of the 113 U.S. medals, 66 were won by women, or nearly 60%. And their winning percentage was even bigger when it came to gold. The U.S. won 39 gold medals, and 23 of them are going home with female athletes. I guess that's just more compelling evidence of how far women have come since Title IX legislation in the 1970s really unlocked the doors of sports opportunity for our girls, which had been locked for centuries. And as a pre-Title IX tomboy, as we used to call girls back then who loved sports, I'm, of course, jealous of the incredible opportunities that there are for girls today, um, but also absolutely thrilled at the accomplishments and the progress that we're seeing. But some of the most memorable and significant moments of the Olympics were not athletic feats. They were decisions made by world-class athletes with all the world watching that will have long-term impact. And the most important of those, I believe, was made by Simone Biles with her decision to withdraw from competition because she was suffering from a dangerous case of the dreaded twisties, which causes gymnasts to lose awareness of where they are in the air. And rather than power through it, and risk very serious injury, she took the courageous step of valuing her body and her life over the tremendous pressure for Olympic medals. And with that decision, she sent a very powerful message, particularly to girls, about your right to stand up for yourself. And another piece of the Bile story that many forget is that the greatest gymnast of all time, was also one of the hundreds of young girls that USA Olympics Dr. Larry Nassar sexually assaulted repeatedly for decades. Now Nassar is in prison now, but he is not just one very bad apple predator. He is a symptom of the toxic, dangerous culture in gymnastics that did not protect the young girls entrusted to them. But let's make this clear as well. The crisis of sexual assault is not limited to USA Gymnastics or the trauma that scars the victims for decades. One in three women and one in six men have experienced sexual assault in their lifetimes. So joining me to talk about this important subject and healing from sexual assault are two very special guests, including one of the courageous gymnasts who confronted Larry Nasser at his trial. Let me introduce them. Ternay Gonzar is now a mother and advocate for victims of sexual assault. As a gymnast from Lansing, Michigan, Ternay was treated by Dr. Larry Nasser for years and her victim impact statement at his trial was carried by national news outlets all over the world. She understands, as well as anyone, the trauma of sexual assault and the lack of resources for helping survivors to heal. And that is what brought her to her work today at the Avalon Healing Center, where she is the Director of Development. Welcome, Trené. Thank you. And also with us today is Kimberly Hurst founder and executive director of the Avalon Healing Center, which is a comprehensive sexual assault center that has been helping victims of assault and domestic violence to heal for over 20 years. Kimberly is a certified physician assistant and forensic examiner who has specialized in emergency medicine, trauma, and sexual violence. They call themselves sister survivors. Welcome, Kimberly. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Well, Trine, let's start with you. Um, You know, helping victims of sexual assault begin to heal after this uh, terrible trauma, unfortunately, is essential work. It's badly needed work because this issue has been going on for centuries. Uh, I guess we're talking about it a little bit more now, but it doesn't seem to be getting any better. And you have used your voice um, multiple times on a national level uh, to talk and raise awareness about this issue. And most recently, um, you wrote thanking Simone Biles. And you know, in your commentary, you said, and I quote, "You have helped assault survivors more than you will ever know by giving voice to the voiceless." What was your message in that commentary? Well. Uh-
0: Simone mentions that she's the last standing survivor of the Nassar case. And that if if she goes away, that goes away. And she was willing to still stand there even under the pressures of that because just two days before um, the Olympics started, the FBI dropped that they had covered up and paid to cover up the mishandling of the Nassar case. And, um, You know, for me, seeing something like that and and the feelings of that felt, even though I knew that that was coming, I knew that the FBI was in trouble and that they had done some very wrong things in the the handling of our case. But when that dropped, that news dropped and that report was accessible to everybody, um, I was physically sick from it, like as in throwing up kind of sick. I, I, the reading of that and the actuality in front of my eyes was so triggering and so defeating to me that I, I did for a few days feel extremely hopeless. And, you know, when i I work with Kim and I work with my staff and, and I just have to remember that even in the hopeless times that there is hope. And while working with kind of organizations like this, that that there is hope and it's not not that it's going to take it away but that there are people that are going to be there for you and when i was writing simone it was really just because i know that there are a lot of other athletes out there little girls particularly watching gymnastics watching the olympics and and seeing her handle herself in the way that she did and realizing that how much that meant to others that that do not have a voice like that and do not have that kind of a platform but that her behavior and her choice and the way that she did that, all of it was so important to so many.
1: Well, thank you for um, using your voice and continuing to courageously use your voice to draw attention to this issue, um, which I know is very, very painful for you. It, it keeps that wound wide open. Kimberly, I mean, I know this whole issue is much bigger than obviously the, the nasser and the gymnastic. Um, crisis, but what brought you to this important but difficult work? I came to this work
2: because there was a need for it. So in the city of Detroit, which is where we're primarily located, even though we serve the surrounding community, as well as the entire Southeast Michigan area, there was no uh, access to trauma-informed and quality uh, medical forensic healthcare, which is essentially known more uh, as the rape kit. Uh, we're not trained, I, you know, you mentioned I'm a physician assistant and have worked in emergency medicine for 20 years. And there's no training in med school, or PA school, or nursing school. Most people don't realize that. And so for me, it became um, an experience I had with a patient that uh, I had no idea what I was doing when I was in a room and basically asked to do this kit by... I'm um, an attending when I was a student and a so, rape kit. Um, yeah, a rape kit. Yep. And I'll never forget her. But the the bigger piece that really rang true after I was even made aware that there was like this subspecialty of medical forensic health care. And that uh, you know, in our community in Detroit, there was no no available uh like free services, but in the surrounding counties there were. There were these free um services where people could go and get a kit and get medication to prevent, uh, you know, disease and things after uh, a trauma, like an assault. And there was just this, basically it was a huge disparity in healthcare care initially. Um, you know, Detroit's obviously an extremely large city. We're in the largest county in the state and the need, the volume of sexual assault that was at that point being reported. And, you know, the, the FBI statistics have been clear for since I've been doing this work that two-thirds of sexual assaults still go unreported. So even though we had people coming in asking for, you know, medical care or potentially filing a police report, we know that there are so so many more out there. And the fact that there was nothing um, in the city of Detroit uh, was just, you know, it, it wasn't right. And so that's really where um, Avalon came from is just this healthcare care disparity. Uh, and then and then we grew and and for me. I also um, am a survivor and was assaulted by uh, a physician. And, and so, from a, a medical standpoint, the importance of not only us bridging that gap for the healthcare disparity, but also looking to educate not just the community, obviously, right? And all of the different partners that play a part in this from the criminal justice system to the healthcare system. And the fact that, you know, physicians and Advanced practice providers and nurses and everybody in healthcare also need education on this piece. Um, you know, obviously in Trina's situation and in Simone's situation, it was a physician. In my um, situation, it was a physician. Here, you know, in Michigan, we're also um, really starting to hear more and more about um, our uh brother survivors out of U of M and what they went through at the hands of a physician and so
1: University season, of Michigan
2: what really got me started in the work was trying to transform from a healthcare standpoint how we see sexual violence in our patients how we identify it and how we can you know stand up and and stop when we happen to have a concern that that there's a colleague or that there's something going on um, you know that that shouldn't be and so that's really where where the The mission started um, and the work started, and it's just grown to be so much more than the medical healthcare piece, because we provide all different types of um, counseling, healing therapies, advocacy, both in the courts, as well as personal advocacy. And then a huge part of what we do is community education, awareness, and prevention work.
1: And, And that's what I want our listeners to be very clear about, is how is the Avalon Healing Center different from from perhaps rape crisis centers that already exist around the country?
2: So the model of care that we are working to implement is actually something that is turning out to be uh, pretty groundbreaking. The need for a truly comprehensive place where people can go, no matter when they experience their sexual violence, and that anything they could possibly need is basically in one space. Whether that is a type of healing, whether that's some kind of medical follow-up or, or initial medical care, whether that's um, training, whether that's being able to meet with you know, their attorney or a law enforcement officer in a space that's not so sterile or intimidating, like a lot of police departments or courts can be, and have all the community partners that potentially can provide services and support have, have a space to go. Because as Trini mentioned, there's people don't know about us until they need us. And even sometimes when they need us, people have a hard time finding services like ours all over the country. And so the, the difference really between us and other rape crisis centers and what we're working towards is to truly be um, that one-stop shop for everything because there are so many complex needs for this particular uh, sexual assault population. And you know the, the services range from truly pediatric our youngest patient was two weeks old and our oldest patient has been 101 years old. And so it truly does span the lifespan as it relates to, you know, the, the type of um, person that would potentially need our services. It's men, it's women, um, LGBTQ, uh, you know, elderly, um, mental health. You know, all of those are very vulnerable populations, and particularly right now, coming out of a pandemic, where, right. um, you know, we know that there was so unfortunately so much abuse happening in the home. Yeah, people couldn't get away from their predators.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, Trinae, the the very fact that you, who are in the national spotlight uh, because of the trial and because of your powerful um, victim statement at the trial, that even you said that you had trouble finding um, the services to help you heal. So how was it that you found your way to Avalon Healing Center? And what did that mean to you initially uh, to help you begin to heal? And now here you're using that pain that you suffered uh, to help others.
0: It unfolded quickly because... There was a young survivor and she, she is a good friend of mine and, and is willing me to share this part of her story um, for hope for others as well. So just put that out there. Um, she did her impact statement the same day I did mine and then she attempted suicide. And you know was put in um, like a mental uh, facility and was released a week later and then attempted suicide a second time. And at that time, without me understanding what was happening, because I, I really truly didn't understand what what, what what I needed. I didn't understand how to look for what I needed or how to support her the best way that I could, or even where to start. Um, so I started asking around. I really started to, to investigate. I met with Kimberly Hurst and realized that the work was there. It was being done. She had it you know, going for several years before our case even came to the forefront and um, that most people find out about the services when they're in crisis, not before. And, um, you know, for me, I, I wasn't in need of a rape kit. I didn't need, I was 20 some years past my assault. Um, so I I initially thought that that's all I was going to be able to get from them. But then, you know, as time went and the conversations with Kim happened, I realized first and foremost, you know, part of their mission and part of their dedication is that everyone's journey doesn't start and stop with the assault and it doesn't, you know, it carries for the span of your lifetime and, and triggers can come and go as time goes on. And you might need their support today, Not tomorrow, you know, a week later, two years later, 30 years later, but that they're going to be there for you, however that falls, and for however long that you need them. And most survivors just need to be heard and be believed and to be understood. I really wanted to do anything that I could to get the word out about the center and about the space for those that didn't know or didn't have access the way that I did or might not even know to look. So I really just wanted to put as much uh, on the front forefront of the work that I could and be in the community as best as I could. And, you know, as people were asking me, what do I do? How do I, how do I do this now? I, let me show you, let me,
1: let me show you. How do you find
0: the strength? I mean, you have good days and you have bad days. That's for sure. There's no secret about that. There's no, I mean, everybody, we recognize those kind of things within each other that, that there's some really hard days. Um, but someone has to be doing this work and I've dedicated the rest of my life to make sure that I can be someone that shows up for somebody else. Because I know how scary it is when some, when you don't know who's going to show up or if anybody's going to show up.
2: We have amazing individuals working with our organization. And, uh, you know, for, for me, you know, in the, in the work, we always talk about the importance of self-care and that is definitely, you know, the self-care does mean self-care, meaning you are kind of responsible for trying to figure out what is going to be. best support for you and everybody's going to figure out what that looks like for them in different ways and so we uh, not only individually but then as a staff try to come together and have different types of outings and activities because the work is heavy. The goal for all of us is to see our patients and our clients walk out holding their head high when maybe they walked in looking down at the ground and to have a smile on their face when maybe when they first came in there were tears. Uh, And you see that. You see that every day. And so through the work, as hard as it is, there is hope. 20 plus years ago, if you had asked me if I'd be doing, I would have looked at you like you had five heads, but um, I can't see myself doing anything else anymore.
1: Well, we're talking about your personal experiences and the work that you do individually, but uh, step back for the big picture because this is a gigantic issue. It's been an issue for centuries. And the discouraging thing is, I just don't see us making much progress on this. What do you see as the kinds of things that need to be done? You mentioned medical school, there's no training. Uh, I know you're an advocate in the in the criminal justice system, the whole issue of people not reporting. Um, what would you like to see done to start really tackling this issue?
2: The good and the bad of it is, is we are out there really tackling the issue, right? So there, there are um, so many, so many individuals around the country and around the world who are doing work in these in these different venues to make the change that needs to happen we have seen a lot of change. I mean, within the movement itself, we have seen tremendous change for the better as it relates to how the criminal justice system responds and reacts to survivors. Not all the time, there's a ton of work that still needs to be done, but there, there is work that is being done. And you rewind 10 to 15 years ago and it wasn't it wasn't there yet. One of the reasons that we really truly believe the model of care that we're working to implement as, as, as a whole for the organization and what we've looked into as it relates to assessments across the country is there is really nothing like what we're looking to do. And so the outcome for us is to be able to have this model of care that we can implement in a center that can then also be replicated and implemented in other communities and made to fit different communities based on what their needs are, what their financial access is, um, and not just in other states across the country, but even globally. We're really hoping that what we're working to do is going to continue to elevate and push push forward the awareness that needs to happen in order for there to be change. I mean, we're talking about sexual violence, to your point, and that is rooted in oppression and historical trauma and so many other things that it's not just a matter of having a couple webinars and being like, okay, I'm trained on it. I have better understanding. I mean, it truly is a, a cultural shift. That will take everybody. There's women doing this work, but but men do this work as well. Men are also survivors, and their voices are also you know incredibly strong. Especially when you look at the fact that we're pretty much a paternalistic society, um, you know, hearing from men on this issue is important. We
1: consider them allies in this work. So it really is all
2: of those things wrapped into one.
1: And Trine, because of your experience as a gymnast and also with personal history with Larry Nasser, I mean, you have a platform uh, to be to have opportunities, I think, to have your voice heard. Uh, what are some of those plat- uh, opportunities that you have had and and what's the message that you want out there?
0: I really, really need to use my platform because I've been given one to make sure that I am offering my voice as a voice to the voiceless and trying to stand with those that need someone to stand with them. Kim and myself will be doing a lot of traveling in the next little bit of time, just because people are starting to recognize this conversation and this topic, and they really want to implement implement change and to use our model everywhere because they are realizing that there is no such thing. And so we're at this groundbreaking moment in time where we know, we know it's been working for 17 years years and it's been working wonderfully and now when we start talking about it other people are you know asking how do we how do we get this how do we get this here
1: we began this conversation talking about the uh the tremendous accomplishments of women at the olympics and uh, we have seen tremendous change in the 20th century uh, more than any time in history in terms of the empowerment of women. And I'm curious as we end this conversation, um, what you see about uh, the strength building in women as a sisterhood and to own their own power uh, as being a part of this so that there are fewer women victims. You, you want to talk about
2: that feeling of hope. That's, that's the lens that I see um, women's empowerment through. And, and I say that because, you know, I see my mother who brought me up, um, at a time where, you know, women's lib was, was kind of on the early side and it wasn't still really talked about. And, and then you, and you fast forward to where we are now. And while I have two, Um, adolescent boys. My sister has two adolescent girls and I have several nieces and I get so excited about like where we are, but also like looking forward about to, to what they get to experience and the opportunities that they get to have as a result of all of this now. So that's, that's sort of where I'm at with it is excited and hopeful. Trine, what
1: about you?
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with Kim on that. I have two little boys, so uh, one and a three-year-old Um, And, you know, that holds a, that holds for me a really high responsibility to make sure that, uh, you know, as we talk about men being our allies, um, because I'm a woman and I did go through the things I went through, um, I do recognize that my boys are going to have a different kind of um, path for them and that as the responsibility of their mother to teach them you know, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable as things move forward and to be able to hold their buddies accountable and to be able to speak up to those pieces that are not okay as they watch others that normally, in in my experience, you know, they laugh it off or they joke it off and just kind of turn away. You know, I come from hope. I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we're on the right track and I'm hopeful that we're leading the next generation in the right direction.
1: Yeah, as the mother of a son, my son is 29 years old now, but I'm I'm very proud of the many conversations we've had together about him being an upstander uh, and part of the solution here, knowing full well that uh, our boys are victims as well, but uh, most of the predators are men. How could people get in touch with Avalon Center also? We would really uh, like to invite everybody to check
2: out our website, which is avalonhealing.org. Um, Also, check into what you can do if you have an interest, if anything that we've talked about really resonates with you or you have ideas or comments or, um, you know, things that in your community you'd like to see, please reach out to us. uh, Take a look at the work that we're doing. We invite you to, you know, look to support us in in any way that you feel that that might be helpful uh, because, again, what we're really looking to do is to be able to, to take this work and make sure that it gets replicated in communities all over the place.
0: It's just a matter of time, someone in your circle, or you do know somebody that's in your circle that has some form of assault. And um, whether you do or don't know at this point who it is, um, having resources like us in your pocket um, for when those kind of things come upon your lap, or just knowing in case you hear somebody that might need services like ours, or yourself, you know, realizing that maybe it's time for you. Um, so we're here. And like Kim said, AvalonHealing.org. we're very accessible. We have a, a number to call our front desk. We also have a crisis number if you need. So um, I hope anyone that hears this just knows that um,
2: that we're here. So our crisis number is 313-474-SAFE, S-A-F-E. If you're hearing this and you're someplace where you really don't know where to go, You can still reach out to us, even though we're located in Detroit, we will work to connect you with resources and providers in your community. So uh, don't think that just because we're in Michigan uh, that, you know, we can't potentially help connect you more intentionally. But again,
1: 313-474-SAFE. That's fantastic. Thank you both. Kimberly Hurst, founder and CEO of the Avalon Healing Center, and Trinae Gonzar, former USA Gymnast and Director of Development at the Healing Center. Thank you for the essential work you are doing uh, as healers to help victims of sexual assault and domestic violence, and as advocates for the changes we need to address this crisis. I'm Ann Doyle, and let's all go Power Up. Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll subscribe, share us with your network, and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb.